Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Duval, happy New Year's Eve. This is a special New Year's Eve edition of the show. Recording Friday morning, December 31st. I think that's the first time we have done a New Year's Eve edition of the Gin Jag podcast. Excited to be with you all today. I'm Jordan DeLugo, joined as always by Jeremy Markoski. Let's just say it's been a weekend, Duval. We've got some Hall of Fame news to talk about. The COVID list in Jacksonville is up to 27 players. Trent Balky to be retained, according to Ian Rappaport, Jaguars general manager. We've got a coaching search going on. Apparently, the Jaguars are already conducting some interviews. A lot to talk about. And oh, by the way, the Jaguars play the Patriots in Foxborough this Sunday. Also, college football playoff semifinal. Both of those games are going on later today. We'll talk about that a little bit if we have time at the end of the show. But again, this is the Gen Jag podcast. Thank you all for tuning in. Check out genjag.com to keep up with all the latest Jaguars news and analysis. And of course, a big thank you to Bold City Brewery. Make sure to check them out at their downtown location on East Bay Street and at the Riverside Tap Room on Roselle. Jeremy, happy New Year's Eve, bud. Happy New Year's Eve to you. How are you doing this fine day? Doing good, man. Doing good. A lot going on this week. It's kind of crazy to think that you know, with everything going on, you almost forget the Jaguars are actually playing a game this Sunday. I mean, there's so much more noise and, and, and you know, just so much are more they, going on. Yeah, I mean, well, in their eyes, in the NFL's eyes, I guess they're playing a game. But with, like you said, 27 guys on the COVID list, that's well over half the roster now at this point. I mean, you're 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 putting Band-Aids all over, you know, anyway. I guess you if can. you include the practice squad. It's not half. But Fair enough. But still, I think it's, only, it's like ridiculous. Yeah, only a few of the practice squad guys were. You need to take out, you know, well, you get 53 man rosters. So I guess really at that point, yeah, you're, you're cutting it close. But yeah, I think you know, only one of the, um, uh, okay, three of the guys on the practice squad are on the COVID list. Yeah. Well, so. you've, you've got what, four or five starting offensive linemen are on the COVID list. Yep. Um, I don't know if they've activated LaVisca Chenault yet. I know that Josh Allen's non-vaccinated from the looks of it, so he's going to miss this next game as well just based off the well, protocols. Well, to get him back. Right, they, they changed that, but doesn't – you know, she, he would still have to technically test out of it even with the five days. So I don't, I don't know where he, where he lies on that. Um, I, I believe he actually did physically test positive. I think they did release that information. So yeah, who knows? Correct. But, I mean, at this point there's more important things, you know, stay healthy and, and – Let's be real. No, no one really thinks we have a shot down here uh, this late in the season in New England. So, this I think at this point you're just worried about getting out of the season healthy. You know, escaping any major injury or anything that's going to linger. You know, you already saw James Robinson go down last week. That's a huge blow, and it's probably going to encroach on uh, his 2023 season or 2022. I'm sorry, season. I'm already getting ahead of myself here in years. Um, but who knows? I mean, Cam Makers is coming back this weekend for the Rams, so people are progressing a lot quicker from those Achilles injuries. But you just want to get out of this 
you know, injury free, nothing major, and, and move on to the offseason with hopes of uh, starting over. Yeah, if he can have that timeline for the Achilles injury, James Robinson, that would be fantastic because that would mean he would be back for the start of 2022, which just a few years ago, you get that Achilles in December, late December. You're not looking at being being able to go until at least midway through the next season, probably. But yeah. I guess the uh, the technology and the rehabbing and uh, the players just busting their ass, it's all improving to where some of these injuries like ACL is another huge one where some of these guys are just coming back so fast compared to what you used to see. Yeah, that's medicine today, dude. Marvel Medicine is a wonder and. I, I don't know what they've got going on over there in LA. I'm sure it's some, you know, super California voodoo medicine, but I have to see him come <laughs> back that fast from an Achilles. I mean, that's just insane. I, I hope that James can benefit from, from whatever he did as well. Cause you know, I, I we, we need that guy back. No doubt. And, you know, hopefully Travis Etienne is able to come back fully healthy too. Cause while we have seen the, advancement and medicine and recovery times both of those injuries the achilles for robinson and the um list frank for travis Etienne, those are rough and they can really affect guys explosiveness and ability to cut and be an effective runner so just hoping that both of those guys are able to fully recover and maybe even come back stronger it, it makes next year for ETN just that much more important. You know, it, it puts it under that much more of a microscope. Now, if that pick doesn't pan out, not only do you have, you know, potentially a first round bust, but now you've got two running backs coming off of major, you know, lower leg injuries, which aren't great for their position. I mean, ETN next year is going to have to prove that that was the right move, especially after the injuries and everything. I mean, it's just, it's, it's making it a tough, a tough go for him already, I think. Well, especially, too, because the role that was being carved out for him in the NFL by Urban Meyer and this regime, you have to assume that the next regime is going to have a different idea for how to use Travis Etienne. Yeah, I mean, I I think along the lines, you know, of what he can do, it's all pretty much the same. You might have, you know, a different idea for him but i I think his skill set is pretty set in stone like you're gonna do some of the same things you know he's still not going to be a downhill power back but you know you're right they may use him you know more in the outside zone game or you know more in the pass catching game again don't really know what the jaguars plan you know was for him originally i'm sure it you know was mostly a third down receiving back but yeah we'll see he still has a very versatile skill set so he can still yeah he can do a lot that's for sure yeah um so yeah, best wishes to both of those guys as they recover. Tony Baselli named 2022 Hall of Fame finalist. Of course, me saying that Tony Baselli was named to that list means Fred Taylor was not, which is a travesty, but we do need to give some congratulations to Baselli, who it seems like this is the billionth time he's made the finals. Hopefully one of these will be a breakthrough year for him. Obviously hope to see Fred Taylor get back in the finals in the future, but Looking at this list, and this is kind of how it goes every year, I just don't know that Tony Baselli has the recognition compared to some of these guys that are modern era finalists for the first time to where he's going to be one of the ones that gets in. 
Yeah, I agree. I look at the list and I say Tony Baselli is by far the best offensive lineman on the list, and it's not even close. But like you said, some of these guys, just just the names, and and you know these names are going to start to resonate with some of the younger, um, you know, NFL fans right now because they either a grew up watching some of these guys or they were at the tail end of their career when they grew up. I mean, Andre Johnson, guys like that. I mean, we watched them come through the league, you know, complete their entire careers and then retire. So they're all fresh in our minds. Um, you know, I was obviously only around for the back end of Baselli's career, um, and and I think it's going to hinder him. And we've heard people saying all year that this was Fred and Tony's year. So to see Fred get left off the list, that's obviously very disheartening. But Pete Prisco has said on the radio a few times that he believes and that from what he's hearing, this is Tony's year to get in. So we'll see. Yeah. We can only hope for the best on that front because he is absolutely deserving. And when I said that some of these guys have more recognition, they played in bigger markets for teams that won Super Bowls or went to Super Bowls. Some of these guys, I mean, Andre Johnson was one of the best receivers of his time. So was Torrey Holt. Were either of them better football players than Tony Baselli? No. Richard Seymour, another guy, absolutely played on some fantastic teams and was a great player for them. Uh, Reggie Wayne, DeMar- I mean, Demarcus Ware, you could argue that he's better than Tony Baselli at his prime. He was one of the best pass rushers you'll ever see. Patrick Willis, one of the best linebackers we've ever seen. Uh, Jared Allen played a really long time, was a really fun edge rusher, had a great personality. So, yeah, it, it will be tough sledding. I do think the only guys you could really argue that were actually better than Baselli on this list are Willis and where it's tough because I feel like at, at, at some point, Tony Baselli is just going to become folklore. You know, he's more of those guys that if it takes too long, it's just going to hang on around, hang around the list for a while. And people are going to kind of look at it like, Oh, you know, I don't really remember him playing per se, but you remember the stories of him playing. So as these guys, like you mentioned, Andre, where Jared Allen continue to pop up on the list, continue to pop up eligible. I mean, those are players that you remember watching i think that's going to make it you know just tougher and tougher the the longer that they leave him out yeah well hopefully pete's right hopefully he can get in this year so we're talking about the covid list we can talk about a little bit more of that in terms of who will be able to get to have some more playing time obviously andrew wingard was one of the most recent additions to the covid list for the jaguars which means Rayshon Jenkins, who uh, broke his ankle, he's on IR. He's one of the starting safeties at Strong Safety. Andrew Wingard was the starting free safety. Andre Sisco and Dan- Daniel Thomas will now step into the starting lineup. Thomas, I would assume, would be at Strong Safety, Sisco at free. And those are two young guys, Sisco being a rookie, Thomas being a second year player. These two guys take the Jaguars' safety position from average to below-average athleticism to plus-plus athleticism. Daniel Thomas doesn't have great size for strong safety, but his athleticism is off the charts for a strong safety, and we all know about Andre Sisco's range and playmaking ability on the ball. We saw it firsthand last week. Yeah, and I know I talked last week about you know the distinction of free safety and strong safety kind of you know, being a thing of the past. I mean, you still have guys that are much better in coverage versus much better in downhill run support. But I, I still think that, that that distinction is kind of slowly starting to disappear. However, in this instance, 
you know, just straight out of the gate with two guys that don't have a ton of experience starting in the NFL just yet. But Daniel Thomas does have some playing time and some, you know, familiarity to the game. This split right here is, is as pretty clear cut as you can get. You know, Andre Cisco is going to be, like you said, your natural free safety ball hawking guy in the defensive backfield. And I think that's exactly where he fits. And Daniel Thomas is going to be your downhill run support you know, run stopping safety. And it's going to be very clear cut what their roles are going to be this week. But if they can execute it well, I mean, it really gives you an advantage of being able to walk one extra guy down to the box to stop the run and have one guy in the backfield, just ball hawking, doing what he does, doing what he showed us that he could do at Syracuse. And he said it this week, that's the style of football I want to play. I want to see ball. I want to get ball. And I, I think I can be that guy. So we need a dynamic playmaker in the defensive backfield, a guy who's going to go get the ball for our offense. And I think this is Andre Cisco's chance to really show what he can do. I mean, just last week we saw it. I mean, he was making plays immediately, and we were all sitting there saying, hmm, I wonder. That uh, pick was unbelievable. I mean, just like you said, the athleticism, just just the, the ball skills and, and the, the awareness. And I mean, geez, I would have given it to him just based off of the freaking play that he just made the effort yeah yeah but uh, so you know that's that's exactly what we want to see and then he just immediately starts showing up on tape and you got to build on that this week go show us again let you know show us that we were right because we're all believing in it we're all believing in you we saw what you can do we know what you can do just like keep showing it to us man we love that we love it when we're right you know <laughs> yeah tough assignments for both of those young guys it's going to be tough for the linebackers as well got miles jack and Damian Wilson both on the COVID list. So you're going to see a lot of Shaq Quarterman, Chappelle Russell, probably some guys you've never heard of. And then um, obviously the Patriots love to run the ball. So that's going to be really, really tough sledding. But you did see some nice things from Quarterman last week. Made a big play on the goal line. Yeah, him him and uh, Tyson Campbell as well both made big plays close down there to the goal line. Shaq Quarterman has been a guy that I've always been intrigued with. He's a thumper. You know, he's he's going to get in there. He, he's going to make tackles. Lacks a little bit in the speed department, um, but I think if he puts himself in the right position, there aren't a lot of guys that are going to break tackles from Shaq Quarterman. And it's cool to see a local guy, um, you know, stayed in Florida for college as well. He's, you know, been in Florida all the way through. So really cool to see him, you know, get his shot as well. Yeah, it definitely is such a great story. And if he can, you know, progress into being a starter caliber player for the Jaguars, just that would just add to the story. Yeah, he'd be even he's, more he's impressive a, for him. He's got such a cheap contract. I mean, he's got his chance to really save us some money here. If he comes out and plays really well, I mean, unfortunately, Damian Wilson is no longer in a contract. Bye bye. You know, it's not going to be very tough for the Jaguars to move on if, if, Shaq Corbin's making plays, and and you are going to see that right now. I think across the entire team, especially unfortunately with COVID, you know, being the way that it is, you're going to get guys that are going to get a chance to audition for next year. I think mainly of of Tyler Shatley. When you think about Brandon Linder, holds a ten million dollar cap hit if you keep him on the roster next year, but there's no dead money. The Jaguars will go from seventy one million dollars in cap space to eighty one million dollars in cap space if they choose to let go of Brandon Linder and. As good as he's been all of these years, you know he has been injury prone, and you know it's yeah. held him back. That just well. be a mistake to me. But ten million dollars. I mean, Tyler Shatley has been served. It's Tyler Shatley. A but do you need that ten million dollars next year? No. What is going to be more know. valuable for your team, Brandon Linder or ten million dollars of cap space for one year? In my opinion, it's Linder. Obviously, there's injury issues, but to me, the pairing of Linder 
and Shatley at center is very cheap when you look at them as a combo pack. And I just think you, you can't beat one of the top top five, top ten centers in football. I don't think you take a, a position where you're strong and you're a bad football team and then you go create a need. Because uh, I, don't, I don't think Tyler Shatley should be a full-time starter in the NFL. That's my personal opinion. Now, talking about the offensive line, Four out of the five starters, like you said, are out. Of course, the one that everyone has wanted to see, you know, find the bench, Jawan Taylor. He's the only one that's going to be able to play. But that means Walker Little will be back in there at left tackle. Did not play particularly well a couple weeks ago, in my estimation, based on my film study. Um, this is another just really, really tough assignment for him. Yeah, another guy that's going to audition for not only just this year, but for the next three or four years. I mean, Cam Robinson, we know where he's at, and, and you know, it's it's going to take a big chunk of that open salary cap to re-sign him. I mean, he's a left tackle. No fans butts about it. It doesn't matter, you know, really how good he is. I mean, he's obviously not going to demand, I don't think, top money, but he's going to demand probably middle-of-the-pack money. And when you get to a left tackle, that's going to be somewhat expensive. So if Walker Little can step up and show that, he is ready and he is the man, which I don't think he is. I don't think he's ready and I don't think he's nearly there yet. Then again, that could be saving this team a lot of money to spend elsewhere, but I don't foresee it. So it's going to be a tough task. And, and honestly, with the makeshift offense line that we do have, I would be weary of playing Trevor on Sunday. Yeah. And they talked about that right now. That's still the plan to play Trevor Lawrence, but they're, Speaking of that, just the coaching staff in general is having – I couldn't imagine being a coaching staff and having half your team unavailable and having to navigate this week uh, and try to figure out a way to be competitive against one of the better teams in the NFL right now. Well, I'm sure Trevor wants to play. So I'm sure any you know any word of, of that, I'm sure he's probably you know fighting it. But uh, I just don't see where that's a good move for you. When you have four backup offensive linemen in the game, I mean, you could really be putting him in harm's way. You could really be jeopardizing your future if, you know, he takes one shot to the knee or takes one shot over the head. I mean, you'd never know. But how crazy would it be if, if CJ Beathard just came out and had just a, just a decent showing of a game? Could you imagine the noise? I don't want to. Me neither. <laughs> so let's move on. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I, I and that's it's a crazy thing. I do think that's a possibility. Just because speaking of Trevor's performances lately, I don't think he's been 100% himself. I do see – you still see the high-level plays. You saw him lead his team down for really what should have been the game-winning touchdown if the officials would have reviewed that Marvin Jones catch at the end. But, of course, that catch also went straight through C.J. Mosley's hands, the Jets linebacker. So you could argue that it should have been intercepted as well. Uh, But I think Trevor isn't playing the soundest, smartest football that he's ever played right now. Uh, I think you saw that with with both fumbles, especially the one where he just decided to haul ass away from the line of scrimmage back towards uh, the wrong end zone there, got sacked and fumbled, and that was pretty ugly. But I still think think you got to play the kid. 
Yeah, I mean, if if there's if there's serious concern, I may, maybe trot him out there initially, see how things go. But if there's ever a serious concern of of injury, I'd take him out. And I can't, you know, I, I can't disagree with you in regards to his play over the last couple of weeks. But what I will say is this: I think it's been a progressive thing throughout the year. You know, we played well early on. He looked a little bit better. And things kind of started to unfold throughout the season. Obviously, the offensive line play, in my opinion, has gone way down. And oh, even, yeah. It's and even, in the crapper. Right. And even when it has, he's been so good at moving in the pocket and, and escaping and doing things. But I think at some point, I mean, it, it all ends up taking a toll on you. The inconsistent play and the straight just downhill performances week after week have gotten him a little gunshot and have kind of gotten him a little twitchy yeah and he's and he's and squirmy more than he normally is right and he's having to process things way faster than he should be and and i think it's causing obviously yes a lot of um off throws uh it's made some he's made some good plays off of it here and there but more bad than good at this point but i think that's also having something to do with the fact that this football team is playing more bad than good and they have been for a while we're not seeing you know, good flashes like we did in Cincinnati or against the Cardinals or even in London. I mean, that's how long it's been since his team has put together a competent offensive performance. Um, you know, even in the win against Buffalo, we only put up nine points. That wasn't really a competent offensive performance, if you ask me. So I no. see that. I see that. And I understand that as well. And if you look back to the Jets game where, yes, you know, <laughs> at that point you were, he was trying to do too much, but I think he had been set for the last couple of weeks of having to be Superman that, you know, when you're in a game like this against the New York Jets where you don't have to, you know, go out there and make any crazy plays to keep your team in it, you've got to realize that, get rid of that ball, throw it away, not try to roll out to your left and, and fumble the ball. Or there's even a play where he was, was being brought down and, and kind of threw the ball up into the end zone, which it actually almost worked out, but you could very easily throw yes. an interception there as he well. kind of so, heaved it. Right, so he's playing hero ball right now. That's what I saw from the New York Jets. But when you saw the time that he had in that pocket in that game when they did block well against pretty much nobody, the throws that he was making, the decision-making, the processing, everything looked like, okay, this is the guy. Like, we know we have it here, so you just got to give him some time. And it wasn't like he was getting seven, eight, nine seconds in the pocket, like anything ridiculous. He was getting normal time for five seconds even but to us and to him it's probably it felt like forever because we're not getting that out of our offensive line at all in Jacksonville right now yeah on the Treadwell you know 55 yard bomb he he dropped on him that Treadwell wasn't able to haul in yeah he did have a lot of time on that one but for the most part it hasn't looked like that and look what happened when he when he had when he finally had the time I mean you're gonna get usually you're gonna get you know, a couple plays a game where you, you know, are pressured within two, three seconds. You're going to get, you know, most of these plays, you're going to have three, four, five seconds. Then you get lucky once, you know, or twice and have those six, seven second, you know, protections, which aren't literally seven seconds. But you, you get what I'm getting at. But when you can have that time to scan the field and then drop that kind of ball, I mean, those are the plays that we're looking for. And that has to be caught. And he had another one down the field to Marvin Jones, too, in the second half, going uh, right to left. And he threw it to the left side of the field and, and Marvin Jones couldn't bring it in plays like that completely change and alter the game that's a drop touchdown in the end zone that's seven points right there at least six with our kicking game who knows but then you know another drop from marvin that puts you you know inside the five yard line or at least inside the 10 i don't remember exactly where he was at and another chance at a at an offensive touchdown those are game altering plays man yeah no doubt about it and i think 
this is a wasted season on Trevor, unfortunately. It's not entirely wasted. There will be little things that he can take here and there out of what he's seen and been a part of this year. But it's you're not getting the development. You're, If anything, you might be headed in the wrong direction. And that that's really unfortunate just due to the coaching circumstances, the team around him, and um, – and that kind of all avalanching and making it really difficult for him to be successful. So uh, we'll move on from that talk for a little bit. First, follow us on Twitter, Jeremy at Jeremy Markoski, myself at Jordan DeLugo, and Generation Jaguar at Generation Jag. Let's talk about Trent Baalke. Um, we all know about the clown situation going on on Twitter. Um, Jaguars fans are banding, banding together, uh, showing their dissatisfaction about the report that Trent Baalke is going to be retained as the Jaguars GM. Ian Rappaport reported that on Monday evening. Trent Baalke, I mean, generally disliked around league circles. He's been an unsuccessful team builder, leader, co-worker, Pretty horrible draft resume, poor free agent signing resume, 10 and 53 as an executive since 2015. He did have early success in San Francisco with Jim Harbaugh and a team that was built by his predecessor. But when when it came down to the players that he was drafting, the players that he was signing uh, from 2013 and beyond, or 2014 and beyond, it's just been really ugly for Trent Baalke and for teams that uh, have Trent Baalke employed. Uh, where do you even begin? I mean, whether it's his tie-in to the Urban Meyer situation, whether it's his you know known lack of success in San Francisco, whether it's the fact that he somehow managed to get in Shad Khan's ear and somehow he retained him and promoted him to general manager with the Urban Meyer hire. I just don't understand how Trent Balky does it. I really do not. I mean, he just latches on like a leech and hangs around and it just does not work out well. I mean, like he's mentioned 10 and 53 as an executive, a, a just horrid track record of drafting and signing free agents with everything that's gone on this year and the absolute turmoil and the disaster this year has been, I don't understand how you could even fathom potentially keeping anyone who has anything to do with this team right now, from the coaches to the coordinators, to the scouts, to the GM, to the front office, to pretty much everybody. You have to let them all go. I don't understand how he managed again to convince this organization and those making these decisions that he's the right man to stay here and not only help lead the coaching search, but to continue to build this team going forward. We said it last year. You've got the number one pick in Trevor Lawrence. It was set in stone. You've got all the damn money you could want to spend on free agents. And this is what we come up with. This is what we put around our team and our quarterback a rookie quarterback to help him succeed in year one. And if you don't see something wrong with that, then boy, I have news for you because what's going to change this offseason with another $70 million, 13 draft picks or whatever it is, 
you already have the quarterback. So, I mean, that takes a little bit of the load off your shoulders, but you haven't shown that you can put a team around him to be successful. And you're going into year two. So you've already wasted one. I don't, I I just don't see how you can realistically think that he's the right man for the job. And the, the, the fans, they should be outraged. And I think it's finally time that, you know, they really actually pay attention and listen to the swell of supporters. I mean, this is pretty much everyone in the city of Jacksonville, you know, that 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 give a shit, that pay attention enough to to get behind this movement, this clown army, whatever you call it. I mean, it has to be sending red flags up throughout the entire organization. I'm not saying you have to always take, you know, your fans and you're always gonna have some some crazy people who have an extreme view, but I mean to me this is the first time everyone and everybody in the city that follow this team that are on Twitter or on social media, whatever have all banded together for the same reason. It's not one person being too extreme or one person being too, you know, level-headed. This is everyone rallied together for the same cause. Trent Balky has to go. Yeah. And, and it's not just fans, local media, national media, there is no one out there that has a good thing to say about this guy, especially former co-workers uh, and employees such as coaches. I mean, Jim Harbaugh's thrown him under the bus and ran it over three or four or five times uh, since departing ways from San Francisco. This is a guy I just can't imagine why, why you would want to keep him. And for the sake of the fan base and for the team, all the players on the team, I sincerely hope Khan has a change of heart uh, the fans are doing their part, as we've mentioned. Thousands of them now have changed their Twitter AVIs to the clown and uh, resembling Shad Khan with that mustache. NFL writers locally and around the country speaking out against the decision. Uh, it's one thing to keep continuity with a successful organization, but to keep guys around from one of the worst decades of pro football in recent memory is laughable, and that's what Shad Khan has continued to do uh, over the last 10 years almost. And it's time for him to see the air in his ways. But if anything has become evident over the last decade, it's that Khan does not learn from his mistakes. Yeah. And, and it's so tough. I mean, there's people in that building and, and outside who follow the team closely, who have close inside sources. Um, you know, again, I bring it back up. Pete Prisco mainly. I, I do, you know, pay attention to a lot of things that, that he puts out there, but you know, there, there is belief that Trent Balky actually had something to do with the leaks you know, of what was going on inside the building and, and, you know, the whole Urban Meyer saga. And I'm sure that was to save his own rear. But I mean, at some point, did, did that not kind of put up a red flag for you? If true, as shot, you know, Khan, as, as the person making these decisions, when someone is so against, you know, what's currently going on, I mean, that would have just thrown up a red flag to me. Like we need to all, you should be in this together. You would think that his success is tied to yours because that's usually how, the NFL is run. And that's usually how, you know, other teams do things when they get rid of the head coach, they get rid of the general manager most times. And I feel like when you have such a poor level of success as we have had, those teams usually clear house altogether. It is a collective thing. It's not a one person thing. So I think he was obviously trying to save his tail and, and it worked. I mean, it's just, it's just insane. It's absolutely mind boggling. And how do you, how do you go into your coaching hires, your coaching search, with the uncertainty, because I think if anything, at this point, this has created some uncertainty. 
in the building. At least it has to have, you know, or at, you know, at this point, the next turn is going to be no fan support. And then we're looking at, you know, a serious potential for some serious action. I'm not saying moving or anything like that, but if you lose this city, I mean, completely lose this city, which I think given the reaction and and the level of, of support, the groundswell for this movement that I've seen, I mean, I think they are really close to potentially losing this city, losing this fan base. And if that happens, I mean, good luck reviving this franchise. Good luck bringing yeah. it back to the Jaguars. I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm not being dramatic here. I'm being dead-ass serious. Like, this could potentially lose you the city, lose you your fan base. They've seen it enough. It's been almost 20 years. You know, They're not going to put up with it anymore. And where do you go from there? I mean, it, it's honestly a scary turning point here in the franchise. I'm going to offer a different perspective on that. I think right now, obviously, fans are absolutely infuriated about Trent Baalke. How do the Jaguars recover from that if they do continue to keep Trent Baalke employed as the general manager? Well, you hit a home run with the coach. Will they be able to do that with Trent Baalke as an employee of the Jacksonville Jaguars? I don't know, but they've got a long list of interviews that we're going to go over. Um, And then Trent Baalke will have to do something that he's never done, which or never done consistently which is hit a home run in the draft and hit a home run in free agency. So I think, and when I say hit a home run, I don't mean looking back at this in two years, you say it was a home run. I mean, they sign guys that get people excited. They draft guys that get people excited and they get a coach that gets people excited. If those three things happen, Balky can turn it around and this organization can turn it around in terms of just fan perception. Not, act- I'm not saying that Balky is going to lead them to success on the field, but the Jaguars have done very well over the past five years of being that exciting off-season team. They win the off-season quite often, it seems like. I don't think that Balky's going to be able to do that. I really don't. Uh, it's not in his resume, which is a long and extensive resume. And I think that just public perception has turned on them. But that's the path towards fans coming back for the 2022 season. I'm not sure it will happen. But I think when you talk about the Jaguars winning the offseason, that's something they've done a lot in recent history. And that gets fans excited. And I know people are really pissed right now. But like I said, if those things happen and unfold in that way, I think fans will come back um, to the organization. And and I'm not saying they should because I think that Trent Baalke, if he remains the GM, is going to lead this team to even lower depths somehow. Yeah, and I mean, this path that you speak of, the things that they have to do right, I mean, these are things that they've already done, though. You know, within the I know, but those are the things that get people excited. They bring you back in. But that's what they did last. I mean, what I'm saying is, you know, we, we had that exciting draft pick last year, Trevor Lawrence. And and you had that exciting coaching hire last year, Urban Meyer. For some people, I mean, obviously there were, I think, a ton of people, and I'm, you know, in the same boat of wasn't a fan of that hire, but you can't say it didn't move the needle. I mean, everyone was talking Jaguars for months. We were talking about it. Holy crap, we did it. The Jaguars are in the news. Jersey sales are through the roof. And we signed Tim Tebow, which has no football, you know, 
no football relevance whatsoever, but look how much money they were making in jersey sales and ticket sales, and everyone was getting aside, and this place was bouncing, and then boom, it dropped right on our face. So we've seen that before. We, we know the excitement's there. I mean, the Jags have done it every year for yeah. the last 10 almost, and people still keep coming back. But I think – and I agree with you on that one, but I think this was this was the first time that it was like the peak of the it excitement. It feels different, and it feels worse. It feels like the fans have banded together more than they ever have. But I'm just saying I would not be surprised if once the coaching hire happens, once free agency and the draft happen, they lure the people back in somehow. Yeah, They've done it every year for the last 10 almost. Do you think? But here's here, here's my question for you before we move on from this. Here's my posing question: Is failing with the Trevor Lawrence situation and and that whole sphere of of you know what's happening right different and and it feels different and it's more polarizing than failing with Blake Bortles at pick number five or failing with Blaine Gabbard at pick number whatever the hell he was or. You know, every quarterback before that and every coaching situation before that. I mean, I feel like this is this is this is the antithesis. This is the peak. This is what you don't come back from. If you fail with Trevor Lawrence and you You're fail with, with everything that has ever been perfect for you once to kind of finally take the turn and, and make things right, I feel like that's what's gonna be tough for them to, to kind of bring people back from i mean i'm correct that it's worse but what they're gonna do is they're gonna get offensive linemen and wide receivers and they're gonna be like oh this is what the jaguars should have done i'm telling you i hope so (laughs) yeah Uh, i really just think that they are going to somehow spin their webs bulky's gonna you know weave his webs and and somehow bring people back into the fold that these people at this point are saying, you know, they're done with the franchise. If bulky is here, if bulky remains, I think somehow they're going to bring people back with, with the coaching hire, with free agency, with the draft, they're going to spin it and people are going to get excited because, because of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. You mentioned that they've reached an all-time low because they failed Trevor Lawrence in year one. You're right about that. But he still gives you hope. And if you surround him with the talent that people think that he needs to be surrounded with, then you have hope even more than you would have had with the seasons with Blake Bortles and Blaine Gabbert and all that. So do you see what I'm saying there? Yeah, that, that, that I can totally agree with. So, you know, that's why... You kind of have different perspectives. I can totally agree with everything you're saying, you know, but it has to, it has to be, it has to, you know, it has to be perfect. It has to work out, yeah. you know, perfect. It, it's almost like, you know, how many times did you see this future, Dr. Strange? And how many times were we successful? One. It's like, this is it. This is that one. Like, we got to do it now and we got to get it now. I agree 100% with what you're saying. If they do everything right and they do things the right way, it could absolutely well, change. And God, I hope you're right. I'm not trying to say that they will do things the right way or that it will work out. No, but you're saying there's I, a way. There's no, no, no. I'm saying, I'm saying I think that what they're going to do is going to bring the fans back in. Mm. I'm not saying that it's going to be the right thing. Right. Okay. I don't think that this team is going to be a successful organization if Trent Baalke is at the helm. That's the bottom line. But I think they can win the offseason enough to and have – you know Trevor Lawrence up on this pedestal again to 
to get people excited enough for the 2022 season. Yeah. So they're, they're, yeah, they'll, they'll get enough people for sure. They'll get enough people, but they're going to slowly start losing a few more every year. I think that, that they won't be. Yeah. If bulky remains, I don't see a path forward that, that includes the success of the Jaguars. Yeah. Um, unless whoever you do hire gets a lot more say in personnel, which we thought as we thought this year, I, I personally thought that bulky was just a puppet and, and urban was pulling the string. So, but then if know. you do hire someone know. that has personnel control, they have to be the right guy too. Yeah, I agree. But a lot I would of these coaches anybody. are not successful personnel people. I trust anybody to put a team together that's on that list. Well, mostly anybody. Let's 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 back up a little bit. That was that was a stretch. Mostly anybody. Like I would trust Doug Peterson, Jim Caldwell. And I know we're going to get into some of these candidates. Some of these guys, I I would trust enough to make correct personnel decisions based on the kind of team that they want to have to you know at least give us some sort of 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 nfl at least you know appearance to this team i think between bulky and his terrible decision making and urban have having no clue what the hell he was getting into and what he needed to have a successful team it was just a perfect storm of disaster i think even one of these guys could put together a six win team on their own without you know the general manager and the in the extra you know insight just because they're football guys and they've been around the game for a while, especially Jim Caldwell. So I don't know, man, there's a lot of coaches that have tried to dip their toe into that and it has not worked out for most of them. There are some that do a good job. There's no question about it. Um, So it'll be interesting. And speaking of these coaches, one of these guys is probably going to be hired. One of these names that we've already heard that the Jaguars have either requested an interview for or have interviewed uh, Doug Peterson and Jim Caldwell, they were up first because they're not currently employed. Doug Peterson, we all know the ex-Philadelphia Eagles head coach, had a heck of a run to start there, kind of imploded with Carson Wentz's confidence you know, waning and then some uh, ownership kind of getting too involved, the analytics department with Howie Roseman not doing a great job in the draft. Um, and, and so... Peterson and the Eagles split up heading into 2021. But this is a guy, former quarterback, does really great job uh, of being a player's coach, but also demanding respect. And I think he's a really interesting candidate. The Jaguars reportedly interviewed him yesterday. And when you talk about him and Jim Caldwell as retread coaches, these are two of the best retreads I think you've seen in a really long time. So I think they're really good options. Caldwell has a winning record. He had a winning record with the Detroit Lions, only had one losing season there out of four, and that season they went seven and nine. That that's a franchise that has been, you know, pretty much right there on the same level with the Jaguars. So if you can win in Detroit, I think you can win anywhere. Um, so those two guys are very interesting off the bat. And then you've got Kellen Moore who's the Cowboys offensive coordinator, former quarterback, Byron Leftwich, Buccaneers offensive coordinator, former quarterback. Both of those guys are offensive minds. But then you have Matt Eberflus, the Colts defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, the Buccaneers defensive coordinator. Uh, Both of those are obviously going to be defensive guys that will need to find offensive coordinators. And then Dan Quinn, they requested an interview for, but he is unwilling to interview until after the season that's probably a good thing because out of everyone on that list, I think Dan Quinn is the one that people would be least excited about. Yeah. Dan Quinn would be just the absolute worst hire in my opinion. Nothing personal against him. I just don't think he fits what this team needs right now. And, you know, I do appreciate the fact that he changed his 
defensive philosophy going over to Dallas this yeah. year. Uh, so I'm not advocating for him as a head coach, but I don't think he's as disastrous as people kind of allude to. Uh, I think there was plenty of other issues in Atlanta besides him. But yeah, he would be, out of all those guys, he would be my least favorite still. Yeah, he just doesn't bring that spark. And and so you look at these two guys that have had head coaching experience before, Doug Peterson, Jim Caldwell, um, at least that are out of the league right now. I mean, they're they're both very different guys, and they both serve very different purposes, in my opinion. You look at you know Doug Peterson, very clearly took Carson Wentz, turned him into an MVP type player. I mean, he was having an MVP season until he blew out his knee. Continued to take Nick Foles, turn that offense into a juggernaut, and and go and beat the Patriots in a shootout in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, the, a, a Super Bowl that the Jags potentially could have actually faced the Eagles in had they not blown their lead in New England. And this would be quite a different story had that been the case. But, you know, the falling out with 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 Roseman and the Eagles front office and just everything, you know, kind of how that played out. Yes, it wasn't ideal, but it doesn't take away from the offensive mind that Doug Peterson is. We saw what kind of offense that that Eagles team had, especially in that Super Bowl year, how efficient and potent they were and just creative and things looked right. And I think that's, you know, what we're looking for when we sit here and think about what we need in a head coach. We've talked about this for months. You need an offensive guy. What's best for Trevor Lawrence? Jim Caldwell, great team builder. I think he's going to get everybody to rally around him. I think he's going to get the team to play as a team. Um, you know, from top to bottom on offense and on defense, and, and that's all great. And you're right, he can win. If he can win in Detroit, he can win here. But, you know, there's a reason why he kind of got let go. He can never really get them over that hump. A lot of similarities. What well, happened after he left? Yeah, they went, they, they spiraled way down. I'm not saying he's a bad coach. He's a great coach. Yeah. I mean, you saw what he did in Indianapolis as well. But, you know, at, you know, at some point, you got to get over that hump, and he just couldn't in Detroit. Now, whether that's one thing on- I wanted to say about Peterson. Mm-hmm. A lot of people give Frank Reich a lot of credit for that Super Bowl run. Correct. He was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles that year, and he deserves a lot of credit. And you can see what he's done in Indy. He's a fantastic coach. But you can't forget that Doug Peterson was the head coach of that team, and Doug Peterson was the play caller for that team as well. Mm-hmm. It's not as if Frank Reich was dialing up all these plays. Doug Peterson was calling the shots for that Super Bowl champion team. Right, and it, it featured a potent offense with – in my opinion, not a, you know, hue of, of top name playmakers. They had some guys, um, you know, the, the really the biggest playmaker. I think I can remember is Zach Ertz. Um, you know, who do they have at running back? I really don't even remember at that point. Was it Miles Sanders yet? I don't even, and receivers, you know, uh-huh. nobody really pops off the page. So I think it's a great, again, a great position for Doug Peterson to get himself back in the NFL, have a chance to work with what we think is a generational talent at quarterback. You obviously got to get him some more talent around, but he's going to have a, a hopefully a, a very shifty uh, multi-purpose back in Travis Etienne, a good power guy at some point in James Robinson. So you've got a, a strong backfield you need to bolster up that offensive line, get you some weapons on the outside. But if you do those things, I would be very confident and at least very scared of a Doug Peterson led offense. Now defensively, you're gonna have to find the right guys, you know, to, to to take this defense up a notch. I love Joe Cullen. I think any guy from the outside should look at that and say, okay, he has taken this 
absolutely abysmal defense. And while they haven't been great this year, they've had some great performances. He's adjusted the scheme to the players that he has. He's put them in better positions to win and be successful than other defensive coordinators have in the past with this talent. So that's something that you can build on. But again, talked about this last week, explosive offenses, scoring high points. That's how you're winning in the NFL right now. If the defense can keep you at least around and and hang you in a game here and there, you're going to win if you can have an explosive, efficient offense. We're not really seeing these 17 to 14 games anymore. Teams are scoring points. I mean, that just is what it is. So I think no matter what you do at this point, you've got to go get somebody offensive. So if I'm ranking my head coaches, first of all, the been a head coach before category uh, automatically jumps you up to the top. doesn't matter if you're offensive or defensive or, or, you know, just an all around guy. Like I think Caldwell is that automatically jumps you up to the top. So I go Peterson Caldwell one and two. And then after that, it's any of the offensive guys. You know, take all the defensive guys, put them down at the bottom. You know, if you have to get all the way down there, that's fine. But go get yourself an offensive mind. That is what's best for your quarterback. And we've said it time and time again. What's best for Trevor Lawrence is best for this franchise moving forward. And that's how they should make all of their decisions. Yeah. So out of the guys that are not Doug Peterson and Jim Caldwell, I know we're both kind of on the on the train where we think experience and coaching and good experience and coaching is necessary in terms of being a head coach. But what do you think about Kellen Moore and Byron Leftwich? So that's kind of where, you know, there are questions and and flags on both sides. There are also things and factors that make me think that they would be uber successful. But at this point, it's just kind of, you know, trying to decide whether or not the, um, you know, the question marks or the flags that they both pop up outweigh the pros. And so I think the biggest thing when you're looking at a guy like Byron left, which is yes, he's in a very successful offense um, and that's going to benefit him. And he's working with Bruce Arians, who is a fantastic offensive coordinator has always been a very offensive minded coach and the goat in Tom Brady. But when you have two mega minds like that, Arians and Brady, you know, how much are you really contributing to that offense in and of yourself? That's kind of my question for Byron Leftwich. And yes, you know, people want to say, well, he did a good job with Jameis, but it's very known that the offense they're running, you know, is, is very Bruce Arians. And, you know, they discuss that it's a very um, vertical scheme. Um, there's a tendency to throw a lot of interceptions because of how many times they're throwing the ball and in, in, in the yards per attempt, um, you know, that they have in that offense, they were very upfront with that. So while yes, Byron is still learning. I don't think he's necessarily making his own way through this as a Kellen Moore, it seems like, you know, when he came to the Cowboys, they basically gave him the reins and said, this is your offense. You've got to go ahead and get this thing um, running from top to bottom. Um, this is all on you. And as a young guy, you know, he's had definitely some flashes, but there have also been times where that offense has gone stagnant. Um, you know, they've had some injury issues recently with both uh, uh, Dak and Zeke at times. And I'm sure that's obviously has something to do with it. But, you know, he hasn't really just kind of been this completely – you know, mold changing offensive guy. He's been fantastic. Don't get me wrong. And that Dallas offense has been potent at times, but it's also had its fair share of hiccups. So, you know, is Kellen Moore that type of guy that can come in and lead? Um, you know, is he ready to be a head coach yet? And you can say the same thing about Byron. So both of these guys, I think have the potential to do it, but there are obviously some flags there. Yeah. And I've heard a groundswell of support just from players that have worked with Byron about his leadership which is encouraging, but you hear that about a lot of guys. And uh, between Byron and Kellen Moore, without having done like an incredibly deep dive on both of them, 
I think Byron is more intriguing, and I don't say that because he was the former Jaguars quarterback. I think, in fact, that's you need to try to completely eliminate that from your mind. He can, that cannot be part of the reason for bringing him here if he is indeed the guy that they go with. And they're super interested in him. I did like how he responded to questions about it this week. He said he was completely focused on on this week and trying to win games for the Buccaneers. So I think he handled that situation the right way, the way you would want a future head coach to handle it. Um, so, yeah, I still think I would I would rather see Doug Peterson or Jim Caldwell personally, but I could definitely get on board with Byron Leftwich if you bring him in for the right reasons. I agree with you 100% when he said you've got to separate his time as a quarterback here in Jacksonville from his resume as a coach. Could not agree more. And and the, the kind of funny thing is, is the perception of him now as a quarterback in this league has seemed to have changed 150%. I've heard the name, you know, the words successful, you know, with, with, you know, his time here in Jacksonville, excuse me, if I remember correctly, um, by the end of that, you know, David Garrard had fully taken over the quarterback duties for this team while he was still here. So um, you can definitely say that one was more of a bust in regards to, you know, Jaguars draft picks and, and what they expected Byron Leftwich to do for this franchise. But again, like you said, separate that from from his coaching and you know yes he has learned under tom brady and he has learned under bruce arian so there is some thought that he would be able to replicate that here but i don't think it's always necessarily that easy and then when it also comes to the fact that now you're also managing the team as a whole and managing the game those are also big factors that you got to factor in that that you know these guys have never had experience with i do think it's really really impressive that he took bruce arian's offense which is just super vertical, deep shots all the time, and what Tom Brady was doing in New England for so long and kind of melded it together, molded it together and made it work. Because it Brady and um, Brady and Arians on paper, that was not a perfect marriage when you look at how both had succeeded in the past. But Byron Leftwich, I give him a lot of credit for for making those two superstars in this NFL world be able to work in tandem in unison together and make it look pretty seamless. That now, is a good point. There's a lot of talent. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of talent on that Bucks offense. So you also have to acknowledge that. Yeah. I just I, I would want to know and obviously you wouldn't really be able to quantify it, but you know, like in, if they could give me like a percentage wise of how much of Byron, you know, was was respect responsible for for taking those two brady and his style of play and arians and his vertical offense and you know kind of meshing them together because again i mean you just can't help you know but have that thought in the back of your mind that i mean this is brady and bruce arians we're talking about do you really think they would have needed byron leftwich to to really make sure that thing gelled and, and came out right not necessarily I, mean, I think it was his job correct but to even create then, that offense yeah and, but and he also know. did a heck of a job with Jameis. he did he did again taking that taking that offense. I mean, he did. Th- he still threw thirty interceptions. But again, Jameis and Brady are very different. Whose and fault I, is that? I get that. I get that. I mean, but you could argue it either way. I mean, you really you really don't know. And but I mean, yes. But the, the sheer fact that you've been in that room with with those two guys, no matter you know how much of your input was taken, at least learning that and how you know an offense works and how Tom Brady prepares and what you would need to make sure that your quarterbacks were doing that still gives you some at least you know sheer of hope. Yeah, it does. 
And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We really appreciate the support. So the Jaguars have a game this weekend up in uh, Foxborough against the Patriots. The Patriots are 16.5-point home favorites over the Jaguars. That is an incredible line right there. Again, the Jags have 27 players on the reserve slash COVID list. Myriad injuries throughout the team. An offensive line that's going to be missing probably four out of five starters. A receiving core that has just been nothing but disappointing for the most part in 2021. The Patriots, uh, they... I mean, they have one of the best rushing attacks in football. They have lost two straight, but to two really good teams in the Colts and Bills. I don't know what you can say about this game that should give Jaguars fans hope for a win, honestly. I mean, there is none. I mean, let's let's just let's just, you know, say what it is. This is basically a glorified preseason roster for the Jaguars. I mean, 25 or 27, I can't even hear the number anymore. It just all these players on the COVID list, you're picking and plugging and, and putting Band-Aids left and right and trying to get a team together to limp into this game with New England, who, like you mentioned, coming off two back-to-back losses, they're fighting for their playoff lives. I mean, this, I think, is when Bill Belichick thrives. Backs against the wall, December football, Got to win, you know, to control our fate. Um, the Jaguars are limping in all these COVID players, two and whatever now. I lost count, two and 12, two and 13. Who knows anymore? Basically, just awful. Just trying to get through the season. I think for the Patriots, this is a pick your, pick your point total game. You know, they need to bounce back. They need to get some confidence under their belt. They need to make a push for the playoffs. And I think they're going to be able to just pick a score and, and lay it out there for the Jags. So, Whatever the Patriots want to do this weekend, I don't think they're going to have any trouble doing it. Yeah, I think they're going to run the ball early and often. Malcolm Brown's out uh, currently. Josh Allen's out currently. The linebackers are out. I, I just The Patriots like to run the ball. I think that is easily the game plan this week for the Patriots. And then you can use the play action and, and different uh, passing passing elements with Mac Jones off of that. But if they ran the ball every play, I think they win the game. Yeah, and and not even defensively are the Jaguars inept. Offensively, they're inept as well. I mean, down two running backs, down an entire offensive line, down in your receiving core. I mean, you're you're literally playing a practice squad. That's what's happening. Trevor's out there with a practice squad and a starter here and there. I mean, do do you see any – route to victory here because I don't not not a single single chance not a single unless the Patriots all have a random you know COVID party out of the blue and just everyone gets placed on the COVID list before the game and just aren't able to clear protocol before the game like there's just absolutely no chance we've been bleak a couple times this year about games but I think this has been the bleakest yeah no doubt about it and I don't know how any other game could compete just with the sheer volume of players on the COVID list and and the opponent that's upcoming. It it should be ugly. And the only things you can hope for here are to come out unscathed without any major injuries and to see some development from young guys 
hopefully Walker Little and Andre Sisco. Those are the two most important guys because they're rookies. You spent day two picks on them. You need to see them play well. You have seen some good things from Andre Sisco. You've seen Walker Little do some nice things in the run game, but has struggled, especially with those vertical sets um, and in the pass pro. And then You've also got other young guys that can prove that they they deserve a roster spot long term, or maybe even maybe even starting consideration with Daniel Thomas at safety, Shaq Quarterman at linebacker. Uh, so that, that's all I think you can hope for from this game. Uh, yeah, I agree. And, and the, the very first time that the pocket just crumbles, you know, like rubble, or or that that Trevor is immediately you know, hit or or put under any sort of duress or any sort of, of just uh, honestly, just any sort of, of pressure that, that, that is not normal. You know, if you see the offensive line is just getting manhandled out there, I'm sitting them down. There's no, no reason for him to be out there in harm's way this weekend. Absolutely no reason. So I hope they're smart enough to at least do that. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, it's it's sad to say, but I'm with you. And so let's just – I don't think there's any need to belabor the point here. <laughs> Jeremy, you got to 10-5 and five last week. Obviously, you picked the Jets against the Jaguars. I am now 8-7 and seven, having to desperately pick the Jaguars to beat the Jets, even though I told all of y'all. I didn't believe it was going to happen. I just had to do it to try to get this record even. Did not work out for me. Shocker there, right? <laughs> and – um so pretty much Jeremy is going to be our champion, our our leader in the clubhouse here, if you will, for our Gen Jag pick'em for the Jaguars games this year, regardless of what happens from here on out, unless I just go off the rails, pick the Patriot or pick the Jaguars twice against the Patriots and Colts, and somehow they win, which of course is not gonna happen. Yeah. So I'm just going to save face. I'm going to pick the Patriots. I'm going to get another win under my belt. Just try to make this record look as as decent as possible uh, at the end of the season here. And I'm going to take the Patriots to cover the spread. Uh, let's say 31-13. Ooh. Yeah. If, look, if you're a betting man or you like to go ahead and, and get a little frisky with the lines – Go ahead and buy some points here for the Patriots. I don't think 15 and a half, 16 and a half, whatever it is, is enough at this point. I really don't. I don't see how the Jaguars, with inept of an offense as they've had the past few weeks, are going to come out and have any sort of any sort of success against this Patriots defense. I, I'd be surprised if they even pass the 50-yard line this week. So move that line up. I mean, honestly, I think it could be 21, 24. I think it could be one of the biggest losses of the season. There's no doubt in my mind I'm taking the Patriots with the spread. And, you know, like you mentioned, it's just unfortunate that we're going to limp into the end of the season with this 12-5 and record eventually. That that sounds so, so wonderful until you, you know, kind of sit back and realize that, oh, my God, that's just how many times we've been right about the Jaguars losing. And I think even the ones that were correct, I think, I know I definitely didn't pick the Jaguars against the Bills. I thought that was going to be a track meet for the Bills. I do think I picked the Jaguars to beat the Dolphins. So when you really look at it, any of these, you know, quote unquote, twelve wins. Only one of them were a correctly picked Jaguars win. So, man, it kind of kind of makes it hurt a little bit more. It certainly does, oh, and that's tough. what happens when the team only wins two games. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's so, it's not even close. It's it's a blowout. It's a uh, it's a pick your point game, and 
at least for you know fantasy reasons. If anybody's still making it through their fantasy playoffs, I'm, I'm wrapping one league up this week. Anybody who is on the Patriots or the Patriots defense is somehow available and you need a late pickup, I mean, I would go with anybody on that team against the Jaguars this week in fantasy. Yeah, and I think the only way the Jaguars cover is if the Patriots just decide to take their foot off the gas and, and just kind of run the ball and somehow Shaq Quarterman and these guys are able to kind of slow down the run a bit. Uh, but If the Patriots just run the clock out and only score 28, the it, Jaguars may be able to cover. Exactly, or if they score in the low 20s, right. and the Jaguars only score 10 or 7 or whatever. Let's be clear. If the Patriots don't score 45 points, it's because they chose not to score 45 points. They also want to get the hell out of this game without any injuries. So I imagine, yes, that they'll run the ball, control the clock, eat the clock, and, and get out of here. Yeah. This could be one of the fastest games, if that is the case. I hope season. so for our sake as well. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. So, let's, let's be real. They're, they're doing both of us a favor if they can speed this one up on Sunday. Yeah, so let's go ahead and touch on the college football playoff semifinals. Michigan and Georgia today at 7.30 in the Orange Bowl. Earlier, we've got Alabama and Cincinnati in the – what bowl are they playing in? Is that the even, Capital One? Is the Cotton Bowl. Cotton yeah, bowl? I, or is that good I don't even bowl? pay attention to the, um, to the bowl names now because it's the playoffs. It's like – it's the semifinal. I don't care what bowl it is. Yeah, and how do they uh, have a New Year's Six, but there's only five games on New Year's Day? Uh, I don't even know. What am I missing here? College football, they really they really messed up this year. Stop having the Rose Bowl out there on its own in the middle of – I mean, tell the Rose Bowl to suck it up and be a part of the college football playoffs. I do think that they got the the teams right for the top four this year. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. Cincinnati takes on Bama, number four versus number one. That's the game at 3.30, like I mentioned, the Cotton Bowl. Some matchups I'm excited to watch for um, NFL draft perspective. And, you know, the Jaguars do have the number one pick. We're going to be seeing some guys today that could be the top prospects in this class. Alabama left tackle Evan Neal versus Cincinnati edge Majai Sanders. Neal is probably going to be a top five pick, could be the number one pick. Could slip a little bit depending on how everything plays out. But uh, Majai Sanders, he's probably going to be a day two edge rusher. They're not going to be lined up against each other exclusively because Sanders will move around the defensive line. He'll play both sides. So I think you'll see in between 15 and 25 reps, somewhere in that range, again, from these two uh, just going head to head. And it's another opportunity for Evan Neal to plant his flag as OT1. And it's a big opportunity for Majai Sanders to show that perhaps he deserves a little bit more attention than he's getting as a potential day two pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I love these matchups. Um, obviously, we'll be focusing on Evan Neal um, and seeing what he can do. And the craziest thing is I think that both of these matchups have a slight chance for upset. I think Cincinnati's going to hold their own. I don't, I, I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off, but I think they have a chance. Do you think they can cover? Um, yeah, they, 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 they. I think they can definitely, definitely cover. Um, I think it's going to be closer. Than Thirteen not. points, I think. Yeah, I think it's going to be closer. That, that. See, but when you talk about college football, I mean, really, fourteen points, in my opinion, is rather close. Cincinnati gets in within a fourteen point range of, of Alabama. They're ready to strike. They do have some players on the defensive uh, side of the ball. Sorry, news, news update. Here. Uh, I have to breaking news. Have to yes, 
Drum roll. The Jaguars have activated from the reserve COVID-19 list. Defensive end slash outside linebacker Josh Allen. Okay. Huge. Okay. Huge. Travis Etienne, who's obviously on injured reserve anyways. Uh, Luke Farrell, the tight end, rookie tight end. That's not a huge deal, but you do have some tight end guys uh, on the COVID list, so he might get some big playing time. Linebacker Miles Jack. That's huge, obviously. Wide receiver LaVisca Chenault. Defensive end, outside linebacker Jordan Smith. So perhaps he will get some playing time. We haven't seen barely any of him in 2021. And linebacker Damian Wilson. So sorry, Shaq Quarterman. It doesn't look like you're going to get that start this week. But uh, yeah, so that that is some good news on the defensive front, certainly there. And having LaVisca back, even though he hasn't been anywhere close to what you would have expected from him in year two, he is a key part of the offense with his screen game and short passes. And they also signed uh, DJ Fluker to the mm-hmm. practice squad. I was just seeing that as well. Another guy with, with some NFL experience. So I think obviously with the, with the offensive line, there is a huge uh, area of concern there. I mean, let's let's you put Walker Little at left tackle, right? Probably get Casey McDermott at left guard. You've got Shatley playing center. Who's playing right guard? I mean, Can's obviously gone. Barch is gone. Uh, you know, DJ Fluker might be a guy who's going to have to probably come up and play some this week, or at least be on the active roster if I had to get. My, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, out of, out of the guys on the practice squad right now, when I looked at it yesterday, I can't remember their names because I've never heard any of their names before. He's he's obviously, I think, the first lineman or the only lineman right now that we have on the practice squad technically at this point who has any sort of NFL experience. So, um, and you know, honestly, Fluker, big guy, physical guy. I mean, offensive linemen, I think, tend to, to not that you know they, they're you know obviously there's a reason why he's in the practice squad. So let's let's put that out there. You know, he's obviously not played up to his capabilities or to his um, perceived, um, you know, what 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 his his ceiling. I don't know his potential. Yeah, I guess you could say. Absolutely. Right, I couldn't find the word there. His potential to his perceived potential, com- considering where he was drafted. But I do think offensive line have a, have a great chance to reset themselves with a new team and, and kind of you know get get themselves in a in a better spot and, and show what they can do. So for Fluker, again, highly drafted guy. Big physical guy. Maybe he can find a spot here and, and show that he's still got something left in that tank. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm not. I'm not finding that likely, but it'll be an opportunity. Certainly, you can hope you can guess. Offensive linemen. Yeah. I mean, I think they can really kind of pop up out of nowhere. You see guys that have been sitting behind somebody for so long. I mean, really, how do you really, you know, when when you're just a big mauler guy unless you're like quentin nelson or somebody who's just like a complete game changer i think it's tougher for these guys to kind of you know make their way up depth charts kind of you know insert themselves when you've got incumbent starters and guys that have been around the league for some long time so just my take on it well back to college football playoff oh yeah We've also got in that game Alabama wide receiver Jamison Williams who for me is wide receiver one right now uh and for a lot of people Versus Cincinnati cornerback Ahmad Sauce Gardner, who is likely to be a first or second round pick himself. That is an incredible matchup. Gardner, I don't think, has given up more than 18 yards in primary coverage this season, according to Pro Football Focus. And we all know how devastating Jamison Williams can be with his deep speed. So that's going to be a fantastic one. And Williams will also match up with the Jim Thorpe Award winner for the best defensive back in the nation, uh, Bryant, out of Cincinnati, Mm -hmm. who isn't the same talent level certainly as sauce Gardner, but he had a lot more opportunities with teams really avoiding Gardner this year. And he, he made the most of them 
And so those are two huge matchups for Alabama and Cincinnati. There's certainly going to be more matchups in that game to watch, but looking over at Michigan and Georgia, you've got Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo, who are both likely to be top 10 picks as edge rushers. If Ojabo doesn't go in the top 10, certainly in the top 20, they're going to be going going up against uh, left tackle Jamari Salier from Georgia, who is also probably going to get drafted, but probably as a guard. I think he's in for a rough performance in this one. He's had a really good career at Georgia, especially this year. He's been really solid, but he looks and plays more like a guard than a tackle. Doesn't really move like a tackle or have the length of a tackle. I don't know how he's going to hold up against those two guys in this one. Yeah, you mentioned uh, obviously the, the the cornerback pairing over there at Cincinnati. I mean that that just puts you in a, in a great, um, at least in a great situation against these these talented. Alabama wide receivers Kobe Bryant will be wearing the number eight uh, in honor of of the other Kobe Bryant uh, for this game so that'll be cool to see and then looking over at the Georgia Michigan game like you said all about the Michigan defensive line what can they do to disrupt the Georgia offensive line who struggled last week against Alabama well not last week anymore it's been weeks but their last week they played their last game Mm -hmm. that they played and you know, when everyone's talking about a guy like Aiden Hutchinson being a top two pick, let's see what he can do against that Georgia offensive line. I think this one, this game right here has the most chance to end an upset. I think Georgia, um, you know, obviously was exposed a little bit, especially defensively against Alabama. Um, I do think that obviously Alabama has a much better offense than Michigan does, but Michigan can do some good things running the ball. And Cade McNamara has played better as of late. And then, like I said, defensively against that defensive line, if you can get pressure on Stetson Bennett, if you can, you know, force him out of the pocket, force him to make throws on the run, make quick decisions like Bama did uh, in their uh, SEC championship game, you can force him into some bad throws and force him into some turnovers. So I think it, it all starts up front for Michigan. Can we dominate? Can we run the ball against this Georgia defense who has shut down so many great opponents throughout the year? And then can we get some pressure on Stetson Bennett so he's not just sitting back there getting you know five, six seconds to read the defense and, and make throws uh, in the pocket where he's best? Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. Like On paper, this should absolutely just be a defensive slugfest. But there is some talent on both offenses. Uh, Michigan has two running backs that are going to end up playing in the NFL. So does Georgia. Um, George Pickens is a fantastic receiver for Georgia. He's just coming off of a big injury to where I don't know if he's 100% himself yet, uh, if he's back to 100% health, but he's going to have a big opportunity in this one. So, yeah, I'm I'm hoping it's a defensive slugfest just because I think that's what both teams excel at. I think both teams have a lot of NFL defensive talent, but you know, maybe we can see some fireworks as well. You never know. Yeah. It's definitely there. Like you said, the playmakers are there. Everything is there for it to be a defensive battle or an offensive battle. Just who is going to come out and, and execute. And personally, I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be either two offenses dueling it out or two defenses keeping everything under wraps. I think one of these teams are going to excel on both sides of the ball. Like I think either Michigan is going to have a great day on offense and on defense, or it's going to be vice versa for Georgia. This is the one game that I think is going to be very clear and decisive one way or the other. Interesting. I just have like, a feeling. I don't know. I just have a feeling. I think Bama and Cincinnati has a better chance to be a closer shootout. And I think that yeah, Georgia, Georgia, Michigan, I think one of those teams are going to dominate. Well, I can tell you one thing. 
I'm pulling for Michigan and I'm pulling for Alabama because I just really, really need to see Aiden Hutchinson mano a mano with Evan Neal. I, am I need well. to see it. I am as well. I picked Michigan to the upset here. I did take Alabama. Um, so I'm right there with you. Not necessarily for the, for the matchup. I'd love to see Hutchinson and Neal. I think that's what we're all hoping for. But also, like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see Michigan there. For some reason, I find myself rooting for Michigan in this whole thing. I don't know why. I'm not usually a Michigan fan. I definitely know that I'm, you know, not the biggest Bama fan, not the biggest Georgia fan either. Cincinnati is just kind of out there. Something about Michigan, man. I think I want Harbaugh to finally get something good. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm specifically rooting for any of these teams. I just want to. I'm rooting for matchups. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's all I want to see. I just want to see Hutchinson and Neil go up against each other, and there would obviously be several other uh, nice matchups if that game comes to fruition. Sadly for me, I do think Georgia's going to win. I don't think they're going to lose two games in a row, and I think Bama's going to take care of business. We're just going to have another good old-fashioned SEC National Championship. Uh, you know? Here we go again. Exactly. But uh, that's all I got. You got anything else to add? No, man, that's it for me. I'm just going to uh, enjoy the rest of this holiday. Um, Happy New Year's to everyone out there. I hope you guys are safe this evening and have a good time. And if you're listening to us today, if this gets out today, uh, you know, don't it go too crazy. Out today. Don't we're go too crazy it. tonight, everybody. Yeah, it's nine fifty in the morning right now. We're about to wrap up, and it should be up within the hour, certainly. So, yeah, we appreciate everybody for tuning in. Have a happy and safe New Year. Uh, hopefully, the Jaguars don't embarrass you any further the rest of this week. Uh, although we all know that's pretty unlikely. <laughs> Did you have something? No, I just chuckled. I, like you said. We can't don't don't go asking for wishes that can't be granted, man. It's it's gonna set you up for uh, disappointment. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, happy new year, Jaguars fans and go Jags. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.